I had planned on <coughs> I had planned on doing uh, I had one more sermon that I wanted to do for our for our defending the faith one and and decided that it's December and it, I wanted to talk about actually the the problem of pain and 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 some on some of that so maybe some other time that'll be an individual sermon of some sorts but um, it's been an incredible I think series at least for me. Uh, a lot of lot of stuff going, a lot of stuff to think about when you're when you're looking at the the um, you know proofs for the existence of God and the purpose of Jesus and and what a great segue to be able to kind of come into that and uh, looking at you know why it is that we have uh, Jesus and actually this this whole um, series is going to be called that I'm coming into right now for our Christmas time is called Christmas Presents. You see what I did there, right? Huh? Anybody not catch that? You know, pretty pretty sneaky. Okay, Christmas presents, and we're going to be looking at some some uh, some different topics that really really celebrate and help us to come and understand what Christmas is really all about. And so I'm I'm pretty excited about this, and I want to invite you to open your Bible today, and uh, just ask uh, you to look at First Timothy, the book of First Timothy. We're going to be looking at two verses actually today. Um, I'm just curious as to maybe a show of hands or you can jump up for joy or however you want to do it, but uh, how many of you are excited to be in the month of December already and, and ready to celebrate Christmas? Yes? How many of you are excited? How many of you are saying, you know what, I'm, you know what, I know it's December 1st and we haven't really got started quite yet, and, uh, but I'm ready to be over it already? Oh, a few of you, yeah. Okay. Huh? It is December. It's just crazy. And, uh, yeah. But I can't, uh, uh, I can't believe that it's here already either as well. This, this month, this year has gone so quickly. And, um, yeah. So, um, I, I, to be honest with you, I really enjoy every part of the Christmas season. I really do. I just love things that are uh, that that go on here. I love things like candy canes. I love eggnog. Or eggnog. Anybody like eggnog? Oof, ooh, I love that stuff. I love uh, um, mistletoe. I, I enjoy things like Christmas trees, Christmas lights, Christmas music, Christmas movies, Christmas parties, you know, you name it. I love especially Christmas. Huh? I miss Charlie Brown. Miss Charlie Brown Christmas, yes. Um, I really especially, though, uh, you know, I was just thinking about this the other day. I've never anybody ever had gone to like a a uh, ugly Christmas sweater party. <laughs> anybody here ever gone to that? I've never. I. It's not that I don't like that. I mean, I. It, it seems fine to me. I've never really get, gotten into the sweater thing. I mean, that's one thing of Christmas that I thought about is the the ugly Christmas sweater thing, and and I think that would be kind of fun sometime. You know, for us to. We should have an ugly Christmas, I was just going to say that, an ugly Christmas sweater party Sunday that we could all come in and, you know, everybody, <laughs> then we get visitors that would come and go, man, this is one strange church. Okay, so, uh, but no, I love that stuff. Um, probably the, the most, my most favorite part of it is the, the Christmas gifts. And I think that that's changed a little bit for me a little bit over, over the years. Now, to me, it's not so much about receiving them for myself. It's about seeing the eyes of others. I just want you to tell you this, guys, for our guys here, 
I've already gotten Susan's Christmas present. Just telling you. It's wrapped and it's sitting in there. We don't even have our tree yet. So uh, I'm sorry for you guys. You've got 24 more days to kind of get this all together. So just letting you know that. Um, But, you know, um, I guess I don't even mind a little bit that little funny little red jolly fat man in a red suit and a funny hat. I just don't even mind that. There's one thing that I'm not necessarily crazy about, though, when we think when we come to Christmas, and some of that is not all of them, but I, there's some Christmas, the, the Christmas commercials are not my favorite. I mean, you think about some of them. I mean, for example, one, one of the ones that I just think are, are, are just crazy out there is like the Lexus commercials. I mean, I'm thinking to myself and I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, seriously, are you going to really tell me that, you know, put a bow on a Lexus and, um, you know, I, it just seems like there's some companies that spend their entire advertising budget playing these kinds of commercials in December. And I'm thinking, are there really so many rich people in the world considering buying this? How much are they? 60000 maybe? I don't know. They're at least 60000 uh, for for their significant other that, that the rest of us need to be subjected to that ridiculously uh, phony commercial several hundred times during the season. I mean, seriously, Right. Um, things like that are crazy, but um, there are all kinds of things, I think, to love during the Christmas season, and I hope that you get to experience as much of that as possible. Um, I think that if we're being honest with ourselves, that we really can get caught up too much in the traditions and the lights and the gifts and the parties and the cookies and the shopping and the traveling and the, you know, all of these things, all of the, all of the decorations that those aren't bad things but we get so caught up in all of that that we fail to really center our minds and our hearts and our gratitude on what Christmas is all about. And so um, I want to just share with you a little bit today what it really is. There's a verse of Scripture in, in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, that I think describes for us what Christmas really should be all about. Does anybody know it? Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. I mean, when you think about it, that is a far cry from the world standard of what Christmas is all about. When, I, when I'm looking at the advertisement and the commercials and everything on, 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 the, on the television set, I'm thinking, man, somebody missed, missed the memo. Somebody really missed what this is all about. But if you really want to get into the Christmas spirit, just center your mind and your heart on God's incredible, indescribable Christmas gift to you. So I want, that's what I want to help us to do this morning. And I just want to look at those two verses that I mentioned earlier. First Timothy chapter 1, starting with verse 15. Um, I want to just use those verses to kind of help us to get into and to move into the, the spirit of this season. And I, want to, I just want to warn you, this text, obviously, though we don't usually think of it as a Christmas text, I do think that it really describes what Christmas is all about. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. You ready? Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on Him and receive receive eternal life. 
even with a, without a star, even without a manger, or three wise men, I think that this passage, I think, is packed with reminders of why we should celebrate Christmas with great joy in this year. So let me just give you a, a, some things that, that I see here. Uh, first of all, I would say that we celebrate Christmas to remind us of the person that, that, that came to save. We celebrate Christmas to re be reminded of the person who came to save. Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world. You know, you could get a, you could get a Lexus every Christmas from now until the day that you die. And it still wouldn't compare to the gift that you've already been given. Because Christmas isn't just a celebration of just, of, of just a present. Christmas is a celebration of a person. Paul says that person is Christ Jesus. Now, Christ is his heavenly title, right? And Jesus is his human name. The word Christ is the New Testament form of the Hebrew word, Old Testament Hebrew word for Messiah. And so when we hear the word Christ, we, we should think Messiah, the Messiah, who, the one who was promised by God, first in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve, and then throughout the Old Testament. But God promised to send someone who would come and to rescue not only the Jews, but to rescue the whole world. He would be Israel's Messiah, but he would be the world's Lord. Now, Paul says that that Messiah has a name. We're no longer waiting for the Messiah to come. We're celebrating that he has come, and his name is Jesus. And what does the name Jesus mean? Anybody? The Lord saves. God saves, or Jehovah's, literally, Jehovah saves. Uh, that's what, what his, his name means. So Paul says that the Messiah Jesus, the one through whom God saves, has finally come into the world just as God has promised. And I think that sounds exactly like what the angel said to a confused Joseph when he found out that Mary was pregnant, though they were not yet married and they had not consummated their marriage. And Joseph wants to divorce her, but the angel of the Lord says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, it says that, but after he had, talking, speaking of Joseph, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The Lord saves, or Jehovah saves. Now, something that we, we need to be reminded of, and, and uh, this is uh, maybe a question that oftentimes people have. Um, this, has been, this, this, this question has been resolved in, 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 in the third and fourth centuries. I think that there was debates on this. But Jesus was 100% man because he was born of a woman. But he was also 100% God because he was born to Mary through the Holy Spirit. He wasn't 50% God and 50% man. No, he was 100% God and 100% man. Now, that doesn't make him 200% of something. It makes him 100% God-man. 
The person that we celebrate at Christmas is God, well, with skin on. God in the flesh. God who was larger than the universe became an embryo. The celestial became the terrestrial. The God out there became the God down here. Um, one of my favorite songs <clears throat> during the Christmas song uh, time is from, from Mark um, Lowry. And the song is, Mary, Did You Know? Anybody heard that? But one of the, my favorite lines during that is where <clears throat> he says, Did you know that your baby boy was, has walked where angels trod? And when you kissed your little baby, you kissed the face of God. I love that part. Um, look again at verse um, 15. He said, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into our world. I want you to notice the order of Jesus' name and his title. Paul calls him Christ Jesus. And it's interesting to me that the gospel writers almost exclusively call him Jesus Christ. But see, that's, that was normal if, if you're writing back in those days, and, 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 and I think even so today, but in the Greek language, the word that is placed in Place first is normally um, is, 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 is what's called the emphatic state. It, it's what, what is being emphasized. It's, being, it's what's being highlighted by the writer. And the gospel writers, so think about it, the gospel writers start with Jesus, the one who humbled himself, but who is Christ, the one who is now exalted in eternity. And Paul does the opposite. He starts with Christ, the exalted one in eternity, who 2,000 years ago humbled himself and became a man. Now, why does he do that? Well, because God meets people where they're at. He didn't say, if you want to know me, God didn't say, if you want to know me, then you need to somehow get to me. He knew that we could never do that, and so he came down onto our level in order to save us. He had to become like one of us. Um, there's an old Sesame Street skit, uh, just for your information, I don't watch Sesame Street anymore. Um, Mike and Nate still do, I think. No. Not sure. Um, but um, I, I don't know if you remember this, or uh, I know that our kids used to watch this. But uh, anyway, there's an old Sesame Street script, and it's of the, old, of the old fairy tale where the beautiful princess kisses the ugly frog, you know, and then the, the frog becomes this handsome prince. Um, the only difference, though, in this one is that in the Sesame Street version, when the beautiful princess kisses the ugly frog, she turns into a frog herself. <laughs> and in her, you know, in her love, she becomes like him. Um, and that, I think that's pretty close to the Christmas story, don't, though, don't you think? Um, God became like us, warts and all, in order, in order to forgive us so that we might become like Him. Did you know that salvation, God's salvation, requires you and I to fully believe in the literal Christ Jesus who was born in Bethlehem? 
You and I must believe, I think you know that, you and I must believe that Jesus is the Messiah sent from heaven to save sinners in order for us to find salvation or to be saved. 1 John 5, chapter 5, verse 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. The, the first evidence that a person has been born of God or has, has been saved by God is that they believe that the human Jesus is the divine Christ, that he is deity. Now, I, I think it's important that we understand what he means when he uses the word believes. You know, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, that believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He's, see, he's not, tim- he's not simply talking about intellectual agreement to the fact that Jesus is the Christ. Can we agree on that? That's not what he's doing when he says that. He's not simply talking about an intellectual nodding of assent. Yes, I believe that. You know, the Bible says to us that even the demons believe and they shudder, Right? But to believe from the New Testament perspective, it always involves some sort of action on our part. It requires, in other words, that we receive Jesus as the Christ. So believing and receiving, I think, are are intertwined. See, the New Testament writers, I think they understood that you cannot separate what you know to be true from what you're willing to do, that we have to receive Him. In fact, that's exactly what what John says in his gospel, in John chapter 1, verse 12, he says, listen to this closely, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So John isn't merely talking about head knowledge. Believing in Jesus means receiving Jesus as well. John isn't simply talking about a profession of faith in Christ, He's also talking about a possession of Jesus Christ by faith as well. So here's really my point and why I share that. My point is this, Christmas isn't just a celebration of a principle to believe. Christmas is the celebration of a person to receive. He's the God-man, Jesus Christ. Or as Paul puts it, Christ Jesus. But here's the second thing. second thing that the Apostle Paul is teaching us, I think, about Christmas from this passage. We celebrate Christmas to remind us of the problems that Jesus came to solve. The problems that Jesus came to solve. Jesus didn't merely come to set an example for us. He also came to solve a problem for us. Look at verse, what verse 15 says. It says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I think that's the heart of the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Of of course, good news is only good news when there's bad news. There's no good news if there's no bad news, and everything is just news. so, So what makes good news so good is in understanding the bad news. And the bad news of the Bible is that you and I were born with this rebellious heart and this hatred toward God, and even worse, we were were completely unable to do anything about it. And so you either have to have your sin separated from you, or your sin will keep you separated from God. And that's what it means to be forgiven. That's what it means. 
uh, to be saved. It, it means that you have had your sins, that barrier that separates you from God. It means that you've had those removed by Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said actually that, 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 that this was his purpose for coming to the world in the first place. Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's us. Those who are lost, or that was us, I should say, those who are in Christ are no longer lost, but, but He came to seek. He's the one that did the seeking. He came and entered into our world seeking out for us. Um, someone once said this, and I, and I like this, and I, I, forgive me if I've used this before, but someone once said, if our problem had been knowledge, God would have sent a teacher. If our problem had been technology, God would have sent an inventor. If our problem would have been money, God would have sent, spent, or would have sent a philanthropist. If our problem had been peace, God would have sent an ambassador. If our problem had been health, God would have sent a doctor. But our problem was sin, and so God sent us a savior. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to save us. He came to rescue us. If uh, you know, Think about that. If someone is drowning in a pool and they're moments away from death, what do they need? They need someone to come and rescue them, to save them. And uh, I think in the same way, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so we need a Savior. That's that's why I think this is such good news to us that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Um, every once in a while I come across somebody, um, and maybe some of you can relate to this, but somebody who really believes that they are too great of a sinner to be saved. Um, they might say something like, yeah, I know, uh, Jesus saves sinners, but not the really bad sinners like me, Right? But the truth of the matter is, is that you will not find anywhere in Scripture, anywhere where the Bible divides the respectable sinners from the unrespectable sinners, or the savable sinners from the unsavable sinners, or the nonviolent sinners from the violent sinners, right? I think that that's why the rest of this passage is so great from the Apostle Paul. I'm just going to read it all again. 1 Timothy 1, 15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He says, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. In other words, God chose Paul, a guy who self-describes himself as one of the worst of sinners, so that anyone who doubts whether God could forgive their particular sin would know that if God could forgive Paul, (laughs) God can forgive them too. See, there's no person so good that he need not be saved, and there's no person so bad that he cannot be saved. You know, I I don't know about you, but um, speaking of commercials and things like that, and just news and in general, I guess, but the commercials even. I don't know if you've been following this 2020 election stuff. Um, it's really enough to make your head spin. And looking at all of this stuff, I, you know, there's just so much division, I think, in our country. And you know, just we're, I, I wouldn't call it even division. I'd call it polarization. 
that we have. And I'm, I'm not quite sure how it's going to turn out, but here's one thing that I do know for sure, and that is that God's grace is sufficient to cover anyone, whether they are a Trump voter or a Trump protester, <laughs> right? I mean, doesn't that seem to be where it's at? I mean, all the traditional things that we think of as sin, you know, the, the, the really big stuff, you know, I mean, out, that it's out there. It's all out there with no shame whatsoever. Some of uh, our candidates that are looking at I mean, they're just laying it right out there for everybody to see. And, and, and it's, it's, it's not, but, but it, you know, that, that stuff, not, not even, even a, a consideration. But if you're not a particular, can, or if you're not for a particular candidate, well, then that, there's just no hope for you. You have committed the unpardonable sin. And I'm here to tell you that Christianity doesn't, isn't based upon whether or not you support or don't support a particular candidate or all those things. Christianity is based upon the person of Jesus Christ. And, and even Paul himself and, uh, you know, said that these are the things, the thing, that, the thing that, that really unites us is Christ. You know, whether you're male or female or whether you're Jew or Greek and and all of the politics that are involved in that, whether, whether you're any of those things, we are all one in Christ Jesus. That's what unites us, and that's what should, what should unite us. But see, the truth is that if Christ Jesus is willing to forgive the worst of sinners, He's willing to forgive any sinner. And that's because the only people that Jesus came to save are sinners. The only people that can be forgiven are sinners. The only people eligible for heaven are sinners. Wow. And then finally, we celebrate Christmas to remind us of the present that Jesus came to share. What presence? What present comes with Christ's presence in us? What's that? Eternal life. Look at the last part of that verse, verse 16. But for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Eternal life is the constant prize of the New Testament. It's mentioned over 40 times. Uh, think about it, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Or think of, of a very common uh, uh, passage that we're used to, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have, what? Eternal life. Um, one of my personal favorites, 1 John five eleven, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. Now, so here's the question. I, I want to I end with this. But here's the question. What exactly is eternal life? I mean, some, some look at that, and, and, and the automatic thing that I think that we, we think of is that earth, eternal life is living forever. Okay? Um, but I don't think that quite gets completely at it. Uh, you know, even if you were to... I, I don't know that the Bible is necessarily clear. I mean, certainly there's some... Some things, there's some passages in the Bible that would suggest that, that, that when we die, uh, that, um, 
that we don't necessarily cease to exist. Um, you know that we, you know, there's there's some passages that suggest that we're gonna we would live forever in either one one or the other place. Well, I should say up or down in heaven or hell. Um, and, and yet there's others that suggest that maybe when we die, if we're not in Christ, that we're we're, we're gone. I, and I don't know. But I, I, my point is that I don't know that that necessarily gets at it completely. That this idea that that eternal life is that you know it's only about living forever. Um, well, then you might say, well, then eternal life must be living forever in heaven instead of hell. And, I, and, and, and again, I just same argument. I just don't know that it necessar- that's necessarily gets at it either. Um, but I do want to read this. John chapter 3, verse 36. And, and this, is, this is, I think, important for us to think about this. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Did you hear that? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And so what, I, what, I'm, what I'm getting at with that, uh, certainly there's, there's a dichotomy that, that happens in the New Testament that I think is really incredible. And I, I've shared this with you, or at least some of you, before, where we talk about salvation, and you, you, you say something like, you know, I can look back on a date and I can say, I was saved. And I can say, I am saved. I can say, I um, will be saved, and I was saved, I am saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. The scripture talks about all of those kinds of dichotomies, you know what I'm saying? It, there, there's all that, so there's, it's the already not yet kind of thing, it's just like, yes, salvation is coming, and I'm in, but in the sense of eternal life, it's kind of the same thing, it's like, you know, I, I already have, I already possess eternal life. Well, when did that happen? When did eternal life come into our lives? When we accepted Jesus Christ into our lives. Here's my point on this, is that, that, that eternal life isn't just a future reality. This verse that I read, John chapter 3, verse 36, seems to suggest that eternal life is a present tense possession as well. Eternal life isn't just, isn't just something that happens to you when you die, but it's something given to you when you believe in Him. When you, a person exercises faith in Jesus Christ, that's when they have eternal life. And so what is eternal life? Well, I, I'd like you to hear it, that an, the answer to that straight from the lips of Jesus. John chapter 17, verse 3, He says this, Now this is eternal life, you ready? That they may know you, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Simply put, eternal life is knowing God. Now if that seems to be a little disappointing, it's probably because of a misunderstanding of the exciting truth of what it means to know God. Eternal life is knowing God. Jesus isn't just talking about intellectually knowing facts about God and, and somehow being able to, to spout off a bunch of Bible verses from God. So what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about knowing God. The, that word know is, is used hundreds of times throughout scriptures. And, and, and the, the best one that I can, I can think of is, is that the very first time that it's used where it says, for example, in the book of Genesis, we read that Adam knew his wife um, 
and she conceived and she bore her uh, a son, son Cain. Um, now think about that. Adam didn't just know Eve intellectually, but instead he had a close and a personal relationship with her. It was an intimate relationship. And I think that in, in the same, same way, um, God wants to have that close personal relationship with us. And so when Jesus says that eternal life is knowing the one true God and, and His Son, Jesus Christ, He's really speaking of having that close personal relationship with that, with the triune God. And I think that the church in Acts knew exactly, I mean, they had that, didn't they? If you look at the very first church, those first believers, they weren't waiting for real life to start in heaven. It was working in them while they were still in this world. They didn't have the advantages of technology like we do today, and yet they turned the whole known world upside down with the truths of the gospel in just 30 years. Now, how did they do that? Well, they were living out what Christ Jesus had put in them. It was His life. It was eternal life. It was so strong that it became so contagious. Did you, did you know that in first century Rome, Christians knew God so intimately that they passionately sang His praises as they were burned at the stake for their faith. In fact, there are historical accounts of, of the Emperor Nero uh, sticking his fingers in his ears and saying, why must these Christians sing? Can't you picture it? And not only that, but there are also historical accounts of Roman citizens who were witnessing the joy of these Christians who were being martyred for their faith, and they jumped out of their stands of the Colosseum and they rushed to those Christians, knowing full well that they would be doomed. They, they would be doomed. They would suffer the same fate, but they willingly accepted death so that they could know the same God in the, in, in the same kind of way, in that same close, intimate, and personal way as these Christians. They wanted this life at all costs. <laughs> and so I think that the question that we have to ask ourselves is this. How many people would die? How many people would be willing to die to have what I have? Or how many people would be willing to die to have what you have? How, is there anybody who is envious of, of my relationship or of your relationship with Jesus? You know, many people have had their sins forgiven, but I'm, I'm convinced that they have yet to experience the joy of a personal relationship with the God of creation. And see, eternal life isn't intended, eternal life is intended to be ours today. It's, I, I read this, by the way, this, this next part, this comes not from me, but I saw somebody say this, it's not pie in the sky by and by, it's steak on your plate while you wait. I like that. I think Christmas reminds us that we have a Savior who came into the world to save us from our sin, and He saved us too eternal life. He saved us to have a personal relationship with Him that starts right here on this earth. And that's, 
really, to me, that's what, what Christmas reminds us of. This week I, I was thinking about when Jesus was hanging on the cross and bearing the wrath of God and he was, he was dying for our sins. Do you remember what the, the thief hanging next to him said? He said, to, he said to Jesus, he said, save yourself and us. But see, I think Jesus knew something that that thief didn't know. Jesus knew that he could only choose one or other. other. He could save himself or he could save us, but he couldn't do both. And he chose to save us. And see, that to me is what is the Christmas um, spirit. That to me is the, the Christian spirit. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners and to give them eternal life, life today. How did Jesus put it? I have come that you might have life, John chapter 10, verse 10, and have it to the full. Amen. Father, we just thank you for the life that you've given to us through your son, Jesus. Help us to realize that, that the gift that you've given to us has, meant to, was, has been meant to, to give us a source of strength and, and a source of uh, an ability to be able to be your witnesses here on this earth. And, and um, God, I'm so excited. We have such, a, we have such an example of the apostles who, who when, when they saw Jesus rise from the grave. And when they saw him for the first time, they saw that it just revolutionized their life. It just totally changed who they were. It changed them from being people who were weak and shy and not just shy, but afraid and, 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 and hiding to being bold proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that Jesus will do that, that his presence in us we pray for your presence in us throughout this Christmas time, throughout this month of December. But just pray to God that that would bring excitement to our lives and bring hope to our lives, but, but bring just a, that we would live out that eternal life here in, in the midst of our community, in the midst of our friends, in the midst of our family. And that would just bring excitement to, to those around us. God, we thank you for your gift and for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's rise together as we